0: But so we've got two weeks left to dive into the Christmas story here at 613. And so jump in with me, Matthew chapter 1. You may have heard this story before. Sometimes it feels like Christmas is a hard time to be a Christian because it's the time you're supposed to really, really, really feel it in your relationship with God, and yet all the Christmas songs just feel Christmassy, and all the Christmas Bible stories just seem Christmassy, and you kind of forget that these are very significant stories. And so these next two weeks, uh, we'll try to unpack these stories in a way that remind us of the significance, the weight, the gravity of Jesus coming to earth. Let's read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray as we dive into God's word tonight. Father, we sing these songs tonight of your majesty and your glory, the way that you exist in heaven and start to picture that throne room of those angels around your throne calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And for a moment, we're transcended into that that place and we forget about this world that seems so different. A world where it seems like you don't reign a lot of the time. A world where there's hardship and destruction and animosity and anger and fighting, and drama, and war, and pain, and suffering. And yet in the Christmas story, we see that you saw fit to leave your throne room and step onto our planet to start to transform this place. And pray that as we walk through the beginning of this Christmas story, that you would help us to see the power of the way that you work here on this earth. Help us to lift our eyes up from our circumstances and see that you're working in in everything in our lives. Help us truly to understand and believe that that scripture that the Apostle Paul writes, that you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purposes. Let us trust in you as we walk through our lives. Let us trust in you tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever get scared that something bad is gonna happen to you? Like, not like this terrified phobia thing, but like, you're going through a good patch in life. You know, work's good, family's good, drama's low. You've got some money in the bank. You've got food to eat. Your friends are being nice to each other. And then you start feeling like, uh uh-oh, something's going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. I just feel it. You know, maybe it's like a movie thing. You know, if you ever see that in a movie, you know, the movie's not over yet and everybody's like hugging and being best friends. It's like, uh oh, what's happening next? Who's going to knock on the door? You know? The husband and wife reunite and they get in the car and in the darkness they're driving home and you know they're going to get T boned. That just happens every single time. You can just feel it. They're going through the intersection. You know, okay, here it comes, here come the headlights and boom. And it feels like that happens in life too. Sometimes it feels like when good things are happening that bad things are right around the corner and it's partly because of the movies and it's partly because that's the experiences that we have is life is a a variety of ups and downs and highs and lows and it's rare that things are high for a long, long time. And so we kind of get this jaded perspective of the world where we look around and, and something good happens. We think, yeah, but is it gonna last? I'm in a relationship now, but how long is this going to last? My kids are being good today, but... Uh... It starts to pervade everything we think. This is a really weird thing, but for me, every once in a while, my kids, I have four boys, and every once in a while, they take a really cute picture of themselves. We've got this one picture of Hudson, at uh, who is four, and he was at Moss Beach, you know, the tide pools, and he's got his pants, like, rolled up, and he's wearing this Lego T-shirt, and he's like just standing there, right? It's like my favorite picture. And every time I see this picture, I'm filled with this immediate like, oh, Hudson. And then immediately I get scared that someday he's gonna die. And then I'm gonna see that picture and it's gonna make me cry. Isn't that weird? It's like the weirdest thing ever. It's like that same feeling where if I'm on the top of a tall building, I'm scared I'm gonna jump off and die. It's like, where does that come from? There's something in us that when good things are happening, we feel like bad's just right around the corner in life does that to us sometimes. And so sometimes we don't let ourselves get excited about things because we've had this history of good leading to bad. We don't let ourselves put ourselves out there because we've been hurt in the past. And and as believers, as Christians, for those of you who know and trust and walk with Jesus, that's a hard pill to swallow because it seems like if God is real and he wants the best for you, and he is powerful then he would protect you from that terrible cycle of good and the bad and the good and the bad and yet it's just this weird thing where people come to you and say well you're a Christian but you have bad stuff in your life and you're like I know I don't get it I wish I became a Christian all the bad stuff went away but it sticks around and it lingers have you ever wondered about that? This Christmas story is one we've heard a thousand times, but I wonder if, we've ever, if you've ever stopped and really thought about what it would feel like to be in the circumstances in this story. As Joseph is a man who is about to get blindsided in Matthew chapter one with some crazy, crazy news. I mean, Joseph's life is going really well. He's got a great family. Matthew kind of takes that whole first chapter to show us that Joseph is descended from Abraham and David that there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, then 14 generations from David to the exile, and now 14 generations from the return to God's kingdom to now Joseph, and so he's prone for this good thing in front of him. Everything is set, the stage is set, the family's there, the timeline's there that God's gonna do great things through Joseph. And so Joseph starts to grow up and become a man, and now he's got this girl, and he's engaged, and it's like, yeah, this is awesome. His life's all coming together everything's converging. We hear these hints about Jesus, the Messiah is about to come. We're like, Joseph, you're in for something good. And then in this little short sentence, it says that Joseph was engaged to be married and he found out that his fiance was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now we imagine that Joseph would be like, oh, that's really cool. The Holy Spirit got you pregnant. You know, like. But the same way that you don't have a category for that, Joseph didn't have a category for that. Like if you're dating a girl and she's like, hey, I'm pregnant. You're like, what? How are you pregnant? It's like, oh, it's from God. You'd be like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Joseph's blindsided with this news that his fiance is pregnant. And at first, Joseph's like, wait a second. I know it's not mine. There's literally no way. Joseph was a good guy. He thought Mary was a good girl. They had abstained from those relations. They had been separated. They were waiting for their wedding day. They were doing everything right. And then all of a sudden, this good Jewish boy with the whole world in front of him, with his life starting to come together, he finds out that his fiance is pregnant and it's not his. Well, that's no good. You feel for Joseph. You feel for Joseph because sometimes it feels like that's what life does to us. You think, what is God doing here? Like, this isn't just a little bit of bad news. Like, oh, then Joseph stubbed his toe, you know. Joseph is going to get married, he got a flat tire, and so he was super late. This was like Joseph's fiance. There's no flat tires in the first testament. Joseph's fiancé is pregnant with. Someone else's baby And I don't know if the people who told Joseph said Oh, and it's God's baby or not But either way, that's hard news to take That's like blindside news That's not just bad news That's not like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go news That's the phone call that says Hey, your best friend just died in a car accident News. That's the news that makes you sit down And your world will start spinning And start asking, what? How is this? This can't be true This can't be happening How is this happening to me? A few of you have gone through and a few of us have gone through times in our lives where we've gotten that kind of news that just feel like something terrible is coming upon us and we did not expect it and it didn't seem like it was in the cards for us or whatever and yet all of a sudden, boom, there it is. You Find out that your parents are getting divorced. You find out that the girl that you love has been cheating on you. You Find out the guy that you love has been abusing someone. You know, all those kinds of things. You find out that someone you love has turned against you and you just feel like, What? And in those times when we realize that something terrible is happening and our world is falling apart, as believers in God, like Joseph, we, we come before the Lord and we bring that to him. We say, God, I don't, I have no idea what you're doing here. How can you let this happen to me? And we're generally not people who try to play those cards and say, God, I've been so good my whole life and now you let me, let this happen to me. But those are the times in life that we start to say those things out loud to God. And we say, God, I've been trying to follow you. Why this? I thought you wanted good for me. How is this good? You tell me you cause all things to work together for my good. This doesn't seem like it's for my good. This seems bad. And I know I live in a fallen world. We know that sin's in the world. But God, really? Really? Everything's coming together and she's pregnant and it's God's? Joseph has to figure out what he's gonna do. And he's got some options. Joseph comes from a family that has a long line of scandal when it comes to pregnancies. Did you know that? We kind of go through that list of all of Joseph's grandparents and great-grandparents. And some of those guys were guys named David, King David. Remember that pregnancy scandal? David was the king of Israel. And one of his soldiers was out at war. And it was David's neighbor. And while the soldier was out at war, David slept with his neighbor's wife and then she comes in with those two powerful words, I'm pregnant. And David's got to figure out what he's going to do. Tries to cover it up, tries to bring Uriah home, the neighbor home, and say, hey, sleep with your wife, you deserve it, sleep with your wife, that way the baby's yours, right? Sleep with your wife. And, but he won't sleep with his wife. So David has Uriah killed and then brings Bathsheba into his house and says, I'm going to marry Uriah's wife because I'm a good guy. And oh, a miracle, she's pregnant, and wow, the due date's like eight months from now, you know. That's the kind of scandal that was in Joseph's family's life. There's a, a guy in Joseph's family named Judah, and Judah had, had three sons, and his first son was a bad guy, <laughs> but this bad son married this girl named Tamar, and and then since, Ju- since Judah's son was wicked, God killed him, he died, and... And so Tamar was trying to figure out what she was going to do. And so she goes and she marries uh, Judah's second oldest son, because that's what he did back then, because... What you need to do is provide sons through your oldest son. And so Tamar is still going to provide the heir to the family fortune. And so she's supposed to sleep and live and marry the second son. But then he's wicked and he won't give her a son or a daughter. And so he dies. And then Judah's like, okay, I'm not going to let you marry my last son because my sons keep dying when you marry them. And so he takes Tamar and he sends her back home to her father's house and says, listen, I'll call for you when I need you and sends her away. And so she's desperate and she's scrambling and she's living as this widow And so finally she circles back, she finds her father-in-law Judah, she pretends she's a prostitute, he sleeps with her, he gets her pregnant, and then when it comes out that she's pregnant, he tries to have her killed to offer, then she proves that this is your baby, and so he goes, oh no, I'm so sorry, and it all just kind of works out. Scandal in Joseph's life. If you've ever gone through a pregnancy, you know that those words, I'm pregnant, are very powerful words. Even if you do things right, right? You Say, I want to do it right. I want to meet someone, get married, live a little bit, make some money, buy a house, and then I'm going to have a baby, right? You've got it all figured out. And and you start trying, and all of a sudden, boom, you're pregnant. And even though you've planned this your whole life, it's like, (gasps) it's a big deal. And you know that if pregnancy comes at different times in life, it's a crazier type of big deal when you're 16 and you're pregnant it's a big deal when you're pregnant and you don't have a boyfriend it's a big deal when you're pregnant and you're just about to end that abusive relationship it's a big deal those words I'm pregnant are always big words to say and they come with a lot of choices that we have to make. What am I going to do with my life? How am I going to figure this out? How am I going to navigate these circumstances? And am I going to keep living for God here? Am I going to go my own way? All those kinds of things come up with the big circumstances. And so Joseph has this big decision. Is he going to be like David? Is he going to be like his grandparents? Is he going to be like Judah? Is he going to take his, and figure it out, right? Is, is he just going to do whatever he wants to do? Is he going to run? Is he going to scream? Is he going to go and like, beat somebody up? What's he going to do? Because this is big news. And Joseph's a good guy, but his fiance is pregnant and it's not his. He could have her killed if he wanted to. Those times you can say, you know what, it's not my baby. Get rid of her. He can start a witch hunt. Who is this man? It would have been a fruitless witch hunt, but he could have started this witch hunt. Find the guy who got my fiance pregnant. I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to kill her. He could have done that, and people would have applauded that and said, yes, that's right. Show them what they deserve, Joseph. But Joseph was a good guy. He loved Mary. He didn't want her to be disgraced. He didn't want her to be killed. So Joseph just decides, you know what? I'm just going to end this quietly. And back then, an engagement was really formal, so you had to actually sign the divorce papers and say, you know what, I'm not going to marry her anymore. And Joseph just kind of puts his head down and says, I'm just going to walk away from this relationship and leave it at that. Have you ever seen someone go through a really hard thing and do the right thing in the midst of it? It's painful to watch. Sometimes when we're going through something really hard, we want to just go off the deep end for a little bit, don't we? want to drink our sorrows away. We just want to go and party it up. We want to sleep around. We want to just do something because we're mad. We want to beat people up. We, there's something that we want to do just because I don't want to exist in this reality. And so I want to escape it somehow through rage or through lust or through drunkenness or through drugs or through something. I just And when you do that, when you go, go off the deep end or you get depressed or you wear your pajamas for six months or whatever it is that you do when you're going through something hard, people around you say, Wow, I I get it, but that's hard. Man, he's drunk every day now, but I get it. I mean, he lost his wife. Yeah, I mean, he's fighting everybody and he's kind of going off the deep end for a while, but you know, I get it. I mean, he's going through something hard. I'd be depressed too. I'd be angry too. I'd want to fight too. I'd want to drink too. I I don't judge the guy. That's what you do when you go through something hard. Everything's upside down, and I get it. So we would have gotten it if Joseph went off the deep end, if he went crazy. But when you see someone go through something really hard, and they don't go off the deep end, it's painful to watch. you think, this is a good person. They don't deserve this. Look at them. Their family died, and they're back at work the next week. Just plugging along. Mom passes away and the dad's raising the kids and he's keeping quiet about it. And The dad just walks out and the mom just keeps going through life. And that kid went through something hard, but you know what, he's still trying hard and he's going to school and he's working at it. You feel for people because you think, you know what, that's a good person and good people don't deserve to go through hard things. Joseph didn't deserve to go through something like this. His fiance walk out on him? It's hard. Those are the kind of times that we go to God and we say, what, what's this about? And we kind of start praying for that person now. Or before, it's Joseph praying to God, why are you doing this to me now? It's like, well, God, why would you do this to Joseph? God, there's this person at work and they're going through such hard things. They keep praising you. God, what's wrong with you, Right? Don't you see how much they're a good person? Don't you see how much they love you? Don't you see, God, why would you do this to this person? This is a good person, God. Why would you allow them to go such hard, go through such hardship? They're good and they're sticking with it. They're not rejecting you. They're not going off the deep end. They're not beating people up. They're not getting drunk. They're just going with it. They're just taking the bad with the good. God, how could you let someone who's so good and who loves you so much go through so much pain? So when good people go through hard things well, it says a lot about them, and then we start to wonder about God. So it feels when we go through hard things, and then we start to see other people through those same eyes. And Joseph just keeps his head down and moves on with his life quietly. Then Joseph goes to bed. Stop me if you've heard this one. An angel comes. You remember this? <laughs> How many of you have heard this part of the story before? An angel comes. Some of you have been like, I don't like this version of the Christmas story, right? Because we just want to jump to the angel part. The angel comes and says, no, 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 Joseph, 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 wait. Don't divorce Mary. Take her home and be your wife because she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph was asleep, so he probably couldn't go, what does that even mean? He's like, oh, okay. And so Joseph, she says, God is going to, the angel says, God is going to save his people from their sins through Jesus. Name your son Jesus. You and Mary are going to get married, get it? And you and Mary are going to raise Jesus, and you're going to be the father of the Messiah, Joseph. I've got great plans for you, Joseph. I want to use you in this, Joseph. Don't run away. Don't give up. Go back to Mary. Take her home. She hasn't cheated on you. I'm sorry for the confusion, right? Uh, But take her home. Angel doesn't apologize. Take her home to be your wife. And so Joseph wakes up like, whew. And the reason we don't like the version of the Christmas story I just finished telling, like the last 10 minutes, it's because it's not the angel part. Like the angel part's awesome. You kind of wish it all worked together. Like there wasn't that middle part. That it's like Joseph gets this word from an angel that says, Joseph, great news, wait for it, your fiance's pregnant, but it's from the Holy Spirit and it all comes at once. But to Joseph, it doesn't come at once. He gets this word that something terrible sounding has happened. And then a little while later, he finds out, oh wait, it's actually not terrible, it's great. And that's how life is really, isn't it? Like, it's rare that God shows up at your doorstep and says, hey, just so you know, something really bad's going to happen today at work. But go to work. Go to work. Trust me, because it's going to end up great. That's not how God works. God lets you go through this season of really bad stuff, and then somewhere along the lines, you start realizing, maybe this bad stuff is going to work out for my good. Have you ever talked to people or listened to people share their stories who are, like, making huge impact in the world? I said, well, what gave you the idea to start that nonprofit? And they're like, well, I was at wit's end. I lost my family, I lost my kids, I lost my money, I lost my house, I lost everything. I was just, I was like the center of the universe in my own mind, and I realized something needed to change, and so I got this idea to start living to serve others. I'm like, wow, that's cool. So how did you get to the place that you've been so impactful in this community? I said, well, you know what, I, I grew up in this community, and My dad was gone, my mom was strung out all the time, and so I had to raise my brothers and sisters, and and as I went through high school and worked my way through it, I thought, you know what, I want to come back into this community. I want to help those kids who are growing up without parents, and so I started this organization. And they tell these stories of amazing impact in this world that all start with something terrible happened to me. When I lost my family, I thought the world was ending, but... God brought me through it and gave me an idea and a vision for this ministry. And when I found out that I had cancer, I thought the world was over. But as I started walking through the treatment process, I realized that God had a great ministry for me in the cancer centers. And and it just grew from there. When we look back and we see the whole story, when we look at the whole Christmas story, we remember it as this beautiful Christmas story where Joseph finds out that he's going to have God's kid. And that's a cool thing. And that is a cool thing. But when you're Joseph... You've got to walk through a season of terror and disdain and dissatisfaction and confusion and hardship before you get to the end. And some of you are walking through a time right now that's really, really hard. And you feel like it's kind of trite to say, well, maybe it's going to work out good in the end. That's right not the right perspective to have. So you know what? Yeah, it's terrible. My whole family died. But God's doing something here, right? And nobody can say that. That's just like a robot says that. But what we need to understand is that when we're in the midst of times that are really, really, really hard and we're followers of Jesus, he does promise that he will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him. And so you keep trusting him in the hardship because you know that through the darkness, God will bring you to the light. Can you imagine what would have happened if Joseph went off the deep end? Joseph hears, hey, just so you know, Mary's pregnant. He's like, what? And he kills her? That's no good for us. God would have found another way. Joseph found out that his fiance was pregnant. He's like, what? Are you say- I'm done, I'm done, I'm out. I've been following God for too long, I'm out. And he goes and he gets drunk and he moves to Nineveh or something and he just gets out of there. And God would have found him, but you just realize what happened is that as, as Joseph is plugging through life and doing the right thing in the midst of the darkness, he's in a place that when he's sleeping in that place of depression, God can come into him and say, Joseph, wake up. I've got a plan for you. Now, some of us just need to stay conscious that suffering is a part of life. And when you walk into suffering, you keep your head high because the last thing you want is in the midst of suffering to disqualify yourself for the life God has for you on the other side of suffering. You don't want to burn all your bridges while you're suffering, you don't want to go off the deep end while you're suffering. You don't want to do things you'll always regret while you're suffering because you want to be able to someday come up out of the deep waters of suffering and make a difference in the world. And, and that's a hard perspective to have when you're in the darkness. But for those of you who are in the light right now and you're not suffering, remember this for next time you're suffering. Suffering suffering's a part of life. Peter says, Jesus' half-brother, says, Don't think it's strange when you suffer, like something, don't be confused like something strange is happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Jesus suffered, and so we shouldn't be surprised and think it's strange when we suffer. And Jesus' suffering led to glory, and we need to understand that suffering is a natural part of coming up out of suffering. And that's the picture of baptism, right? You're drowned and then you come out again. That's a good picture of life. There are times that you're underwater and you're thinking, God, why are you holding me underwater? And then there are times that you come out and you go, oh, okay. And it was hard. And you don't get it. You don't understand why. And sometimes you think, God, why would you allow that? You could have just told me. You didn't have Joseph, you didn't have to tell Joseph. Uh, You didn't have to make Joseph walk through all that. You could have just told him, hey, just so you know, something cool's happening. But somehow, and for some reason, even when God's absolutely in control, because he's always in control, when God is absolutely in control, he still lets Joseph walk through suffering before he tells Joseph why he allowed him to walk through suffering. It's all part of God's plan. Like I said, that's a hard thing to say when you're in it. That's not what you want to hear from someone while you're in it but it's something good to know before you go into it next time. Keep your head up. There's a woman in Joseph's family named Ruth. And Ruth was not a follower of God. She was a Moabite. And she lived in this pagan land. And yet, during this famine, uh, Ruth's future husband and his family moved to Moab. And so she met her husband in Moab. And he was a follower of our God. And so Ruth links up with this guy. And and someone else links up with his brother. And and his dad is there. And his mom is there. Her name is Naomi. And so they're kind of living life together in Moab. And then all of a sudden, Ruth's stepdad or father-in-law no, Ruth's father-in-law dies, and then Ruth's husband dies, and then Ruth's husband's brother dies, and so now it's just Ruth and this girl Orpah and Naomi, and they're like, "Uh uh-oh, all the guys are dead, what are we gonna do? And so they're like, we gotta go back to Israel, right? And so Naomi says to Ruth, Ruth, listen, cut ties and cut bait and walk away from this, you don't need to come back with us to Bethlehem. You don't need to go back to God's country. You're a Moabitist. You stay in Moab. Make a life for yourself. Just figure it out. You're not bound to us anymore. We're out of here. But Ruth says, no, 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 Naomi, where you go, I'm going to go. And where you stay, I'm going to stay. And your people are going to be my people. And your God is going to be my God. And may God deal with me, ever, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates me and you. And Naomi's like, All right. let's go back to Bethlehem. And so they all go back to Bethlehem, and they work there in Bethlehem to try to survive kind of like the lowest of low on the totem poles. They're just kind of going through the fields after the harvesters go through, and they're gleaning. They're kind of eating all the leftovers, like kind of going through the garbage, that kind of thing. And and, and Ruth catches the eye of this guy, Boaz, who says, who's that? And he says, oh, that's that's Ruth. She's Naomi's daughter-in-law, and here's the sad story. What happened to her? And he's like, I like her. And Boaz was super old, and I don't know why I told you that. Uh, (laughs) I thought it was going to make some kind of difference, but it didn't. And so so at the end of the story, Ruth and Boaz gets married, and, and she finds out in the midst of all that that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, that he's someone who's related to Naomi, and so he can graft Ruth back into the family again and make a name for this family that had fallen apart again. And Ruth realizes, and we realize as we read that story, that even though Ruth was going through such hardship and wandering, that God was preparing for her a future that was beautiful. A future that was wonderful. And she had to walk through the desert to get back to Bethlehem. They had to walk through a famine to get to the point that they needed to go through the desert. Her family had to die to get to the point that they needed to go back. But God allowed all that terrible thing to happen so that Ruth could be grafted in to Boaz's line. And then Ruth shows up on Joseph's family tree. Isn't that cool? So often we wander through life wondering, God, what are you doing? And God's like, I'm trying to graft you into something good. I want to pull you into my people. That's why I let you go through all those hard things to bring you to me. I want you over here and you're over there and so there's a lot of hardship that happens to get you over here. And we think about Joseph and this wonderful man that he was and the great life that he led and that was all true but we need to see that that life of righteousness is infused with hardship and suffering along the way. If you're going to be a righteous person, Someone like Joseph, who God uses to do mighty things, it's going to be a path you walk through a lot of hardship. It's going to be suffering. And all of that suffering that you go through in your life is used by God to create in you a story to create in you a legacy, to create in you a future that he has for you. God uses suffering in so many ways to bring you to the place he wants you to be, to become the person he wants you to be, for the mission he has for you, to be part of the people he wants you to be with forever and ever and ever. It's all part of your story. You read Joseph's lineage, and and it's it's a very male-centered story, the Matthew story. It's about Joseph. We don't get a glimpse of Mary and how she was feeling along the way would have been helpful. You can read other gospel accounts for that. You don't hear a lot about the Mary's lineage in the book of Matthew. You get a picture of Joseph in Joseph's line. But the four women that exist in the book of Matthew chapter 1 are Ruth, Bathsheba, Tamar, and Rahab. These four women who go through this extreme hardship, they're victims of terrible men, Bathsheba is used and abused and then manipulated and then used by God to do great things. Tamar is discarded and abused and cast away and forced into prostitution and then grafted into God's family. Ruth has to go through all of the suffering and turmoil and death in her family and she wanders into God's kingdom where he grafts her into his family family. There's all this suffering and struggling along the way to bring God's people to a place of righteousness. So if you're a person who's going through suffering, or when you're going through suffering, keep your head high. Don't go off the deep end. Don't do things you're going to regret. Because in the midst of suffering, God is crafting you into the future he has for you, and you don't want to miss it. You want to burn bridges that disqualify yourself from the future God has you on the other side. And some of you have done that. You've walked through suffering and you've survived and you've done well and you haven't made horrible, horrible choices in the midst of it and and you've followed God along the way and now you're seeing that he's building in you through that suffering a ministry and a hope and a future and a perspective that you wouldn't trade for anything. Others of you have gone off the deep end. You've gone through suffering and you've done dumb things. You've been outside of God's camp for a long, long time. You've been doing your own thing and not even thinking about the God of the universe. And so you hear this story and you think, well, I've already disqualified myself. I'm not a victim. I'm a perpetrator. I'm someone who's done all the wrong things and and God will never use me. That's why I love that it's not just Ruth and Bathsheba and Tamar in that story, but Rahab's there too. Rahab's the fourth woman in the line of Joseph. And she was a woman who didn't know anything really about God. She was living in this pagan land. and She was a, not just a prostitute, she was a temple prostitute. So that means she was a half prostitute, half idol worshiper. That was her religious worship. That was her vocation. as She would sleep with men, not just in exchange for money, but to worship false deities. So if you picture like the farthest person in the world from God, it's Rahab. Temple, prostitute, pagan, outside of God's family. And yet somehow, someday, God opened her eyes to see that God's people are the real people and their God's the real God. And so in this moment of clarity, she protects God's people and God rewards her by giving her life, by giving her a future and grafting her into this family tree. And Rahab is this woman who celebrated, even in Hebrews 11, that hall of faith, in the book of Hebrews, saying this is a godly woman. This is what a godly woman looks like, a pagan temple prostitute who had her eyes opened, saw the real God, trusted him, and got written to the history books forever. So tonight, if you find yourself, whether you're a man or a woman, on the outside of God's family, messing up everything, tonight, maybe that's a moment of clarity for you where you open your eyes and you say, wow, God is real. He has plans for me. He wants to use me in a miraculous way. And you start to think, oh, but I'm disqualified. You're not, think of Rahab. When you see God and you step towards God, he grabs you and he'll never let you go. Your response should be to cling to him back. And tonight we take communion. We do that every Sunday night. And it's an opportunity for believers in Jesus to remember that we cling to him for life. That the reason we live is because Jesus died. We are sustained not by turkey and cranberry sauce. We are sustained by the body and the blood of Jesus. His death brings life to us. His resurrection seals our eternal life forever and ever and ever and buys us into his family. And so we come together as believers in nights like this and we eat this bread. We dip it in this juice. We eat it and we remember that Christ is who sustains us, who gives us life, who keeps us alive. And he is ours and we, we are his and he is our provider And we cling to him and we proclaim that his death means everything to us. Tonight, if you don't know Jesus, communion is not something that you should take part in. Because Christ is not your all. He's not your life. He's not the one who is providing all things to you. You're trying to do it on your own still. But if tonight you're at a place where you're like, you know what, I'm done with that. I want him. Make that your first step. Come forward, take communion and say, Jesus, I receive you. And I realize that you are the giver of life the giver of physical life, the giver of spiritual life, the giver of eternal life. And I consume you, Jesus, in that sense. And I realize that I need you in me forever and ever and ever. And then talk to somebody about it. Say, you know what, I want to start this life with Jesus. Tell me how. I want to be baptized. Tell me when. I want to start reading the Bible. Tell me where to go. Talk to us. Talk to the person who brought you and start walking down that new life because you cannot disqualify yourself from the future God has for you. He just wants you today. So turn to him today. Let's pray together.